When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Real Vision Podcast Network. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Wednesday, November 10, 2021. I'm Ash Bennington, joined today by the Daily Dirt Naps, Jared Dillian. But first, let's take a look at our top stories today. Top story, you already know it, it's inflation. CPI, let's call it what it is, it's a melt-up. Let's run through the numbers here. Uh, I think it's worth going through all of these just to give you a sense and a context of what's happening here. So CPI, month over month, this is monthly change, uh, 0.9% in a single month, positive jump. CPI, year over year, this is from prior year, 6.2% up. CPI core, this is X food and energy uh, on a month over month basis, it's up 0.6%. Uh, X food and energy year over year up 4.6%. Talking about context, I want to give you a sense of these numbers and why this is so significant. I call these a triple threat. It's a beat on consensus, it's a beat on consensus range, and it's a beat on prior. What does that mean? It's coming out higher than consensus range, higher than consensus and higher than it was the month before. Consensus range is an important number to understand because it represents the low and high end of the range that economists were predicting. Let me give you a sense here. So for CPI year over year, which came in actual at 6.2%, the prior month was 5.4, so inflation accelerating from prior month on a year over year basis. The consensus for this among economists was 5.8%. Consensus range, 5.5% to 5.9%, meaning this was above the highest number that was in the economist survey. This is suggestive, suggestive, we don't know for sure, of the possibility that this was not baked into markets, meaning not priced in. Let's just run through some other numbers here uh, while we have them out. Uh, the price of electricity up 6.5% on a year-over-year -year basis. Consumer expenditures on utility-piped gas services. Uh, this is the gas that runs your stove. This is the gas that runs your heater if you have gas heat. Up 28%, same basis. This is unadjusted percent change. We're not seasonally adjusted uh, from October 2020 to October 2021. This is all from the same survey. New survey, this is home prices. This is numbers out from the National Association of Realtor, of Realtors, excuse me. Prices up in 182 of 183 metro areas, meaning nearly everywhere in the country, home prices are rising. How much? Well, they're up more than 10% from prior year in 78% of the metro areas. Now, if you're a real glass half full glass uh, guy or gal, and you're looking for a silver lining here, it's gotta be hard to find one. That's a slowdown from the rate of acceleration second derivative that we saw in the increase in prices prior quarter when 94% of metro areas reported increases in price of 10% 
or greater. Obviously, a tremendous amount happening right now in inflation data, in home price data. There are other things that we want to cover on the show today. Rivian IPO today. Uh, this is the electric vehicle play, of course, backed by Ford and Amazon. Uh, shares offered at 78 bucks, opened at uh, 106.75. And let's take a look at where they're closing. Uh, It looks like they're closing here at 100 spot 73 on uh, on the NASDAQ here for for the end of the day. It looks like they're still bouncing around a little bit. One thing I do want to hit is U.S. equity markets. Obviously, this has been a pretty unpleasant day. Uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average uh, is, I guess you could call it, the leader of the day. It's down six hundred. It's down two hundred and forty points. That's two thirds of one percent. S and P five hundred settling down here at the end of the day at four thousand six hundred forty six uh, off. Well, it looks like about spot eight percent, zero spot eight percent. Nasdaq, boy, this is an ugly number. Nasdaq closing out the day at fifteen thousand six hundred and twenty two. Uh, that's off. One spot six six percent, so one and two thirds percent. Russell two thousand also looking pretty dismal, uh, closing out the day at two thousand three hundred and eighty nine, or off uh, a little over. Uh, looks like one spot six percent right now, still moving here uh, at the close. Not a pleasant day. Couldn't think of anyone who we'd rather have on the show uh, to talk about it, to provide some context, to talk about the price action and the underlying drivers than Jared Dillian. Jared, welcome back to the show. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. So, what do you think, man? This is uh, not a pleasant day here. Some pretty ugly prints, uh, and obviously a lot of choppiness in U.S. equity markets. What's your take? How are you thinking about it? Well, I'm not a glass half full guy, and I'm not a glass half empty guy. I'm a glass tipped over guy. Okay, this is uh, this is a disaster. Um, you know, I think I said on a daily briefing one or two times ago that you were going to get CPI into the seven, eight, nine percent range. Um, this is going to continue until the Fed publicly acknowledges that inflation is not is not transitory. Like that, that they're they're gonna they're gonna top ticket when inflation gets to eight or nine percent. They will acknowledge that it's no longer transitory, and that will probably be the highs in inflation. So, but we've, you know, we're at a point where, you know, in the beginning parts of this during the pandemic, when inflation was two, three, four percent, inflation was very beneficial for asset prices. And we've reached the stage where that's no longer true. So, you know, now, I mean, this is, you know, the analog is the 70s. You know, the 70s were a tough time for financial assets. It was tough for bonds, tough for stocks, but it was great for commodities. It was bad for oil today, but if you look at some other commodities, like in ags, it was actually pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. Uh, You talk about the Fed top ticking this. Is this the the risk of the Fed losing credibility on this narrative? Uh, You know, I guess they can still maintain for the time being for a short period of time. Hey, we knew that there was inflation coming. We said it. It's the reopening trade, but it's transitory. How long does that last and how long can they maintain credibility on the narrative? Uh, I figure about another six months. Um, you know, at the last Fed meeting, they said they were going to reduce asset purchases by fifteen billion a month. Uh, that's eight months. That takes you to next summer before they start rate hikes. Uh, Jerome Powell said that they were flexible. Um, you know, I took flexible to mean they could accelerate the taper, and I think he means they could decelerate it. But I think. Sometime early next year, January or February, they're going to be forced to accelerate the t- the taper. 
Yeah. So what about the mechanics of this market, Jared? What are you looking at here? How are you positioned and how are you playing it? Uh, honestly, you know, uh, it's, things are kind of a mess right now. You know, I do have a lot of inflation-sensitive stuff. Let's talk about gold first. I mean, gold uh, broke out today, and it was up, I want to say, about 2% around the open, and it sort of gave up half the gains later in the day. But it did break out of a technical formation. You know, crypto as a basket, um, it, it was up on the inflation news and then traded off towards the end of the day. So I'm still kind of processing it. I'm not really sure what to make here. Um, you know, I'm I'm holding on to all my inflation positions uh, because I think this is going to continue for some time. Yeah, lest I be remiss in my duties on the crypto side, let's hit those prices. Bitcoin right now trading at sixty five thousand eight hundred and forty one, uh, near an all time high, uh, and uh, Ethereum at four thousand six hundred and thirty five, also uh, near all time highs. Obviously, these are uh, stocks that are, or excuse me, these are uh, these are coins, these are protocols that are catching a bid on the inflation trade. Yeah, and like I said, you know that you know some of the other altcoins sort of collapsed towards the end of the day. Um, what actually kind of what I'm waiting for is somebody to come up with a crypto index. You know, we need an S and P 500 for crypto. You know, because the people just look at Bitcoin as a proxy, but that doesn't really capture what's going on in the other coins. Yeah, I think we probably need like a whole series of indices, right? Like to try and weight like different types of uh, different types of protocols. That Small cap, large cap, mid cap, stuff like that. Yeah, Chair, this could be a billion dollar business idea. <laughs> Some uh, smart viewer is going to uh, is going to jump on it. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome back to Real Vision's Daily Briefing. Let's get right back to the top analysis of today's markets. Hey, listen, Jared, let's play a game. Uh, if we were around the clock, to um, you know, to November of 2018, three years ago, and I were to tell you that we were going to get these prints uh, on inflation, uh, you know, year over year, 6.2 percent. Where would you have said gold prices would be? Oh, for sure, I would have said they would be 2,500 at least. You know, um, I mean, there's, I think that's really like a flows discussion. I, you know, I think, I mean, look, like crypto is captured a lot of money that would have ordinarily have gone to gold, you know, and I think that really accounts for the difference. Um, nonetheless, I'm still bullish on gold and I still think it will get to 2,500. I think the breakout today was pretty important. So I'm more bullish than I was a couple of days ago. Yeah. Uh, it looks like gold right now trading at 1,851. Uh, couldn't hold its head up uh, to the point of 2%, but it looks like it's up on the day. Uh, one spot, 2%. Yeah, that's a pretty good day. Yeah, still a pretty good day, uh, though not uh, off the obviously off the highs that we discussed earlier. Let me ask you this, Jared: Any thoughts on Rivian? Well, I actually uh, I own Ford. Um, Ford is in the Daily Dirt Nap portfolio, so I've been watching this. Um, I mean, look, like I, I don't know what the market cap is if it's like eighty or ninety billion or something like that. I'm sure you have it in front of you. Um, this, you know, people are throwing money at EVs and, you know, 
it kind of reminds me of 1999 when you used to get these IPOs that would be up, they, you know, they would pop 100%, 200%. I think it was VA Linux that popped 600%. You know, so we're seeing echoes of what we saw back then. Um, you know, I, the price action today is not bullish in stocks. It really isn't. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I've, I've struggled to find ways to um, have a core portfolio of longs and yet maintain some short exposure as a hedge. And I haven't been very good at doing that. Yeah. By the way, I'm playing the read as you go game right here. Uh, and I'm looking at Rivian right now. It looks like the implied valuation, I don't know if they've uh, factored this in at the close, but it looks like $91 billion, which puts Rivian uh, above the market cap of Ford and General Motors. Yeah, I think Ford is about uh, eighty billion, a little less than that today. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. I mean, it's you know, it's I, I don't know. It's twenty twenty one. This is what's going on. I mean, having said that, you know, this is we're getting close to the holidays. Thanksgiving is in two weeks. Uh, we got Christmas coming up. You know, you, this is seasonally. This is usually a pretty good time for stocks. I think two thousand twenty two is going to be a very challenging year. You know, um, might be our first down year in a while. Jared, you talk about this challenge potentially coming in 2022. What are the headwinds that you see? What's driving it? And what's the potential price action look like based on your analysis? Well, I think that the Fed is going to have to accelerate the taper in the early part of 2022. Um, the other thing is, is that the political significance of these inflation numbers is impossible to miss. I mean, this is the one thing that's on voters' minds. Biden owns this. The, the inflation started after his inauguration. You know, whether he's responsible for it or not is a different question. And this is politically, this is going to be very difficult for the Democrats in the midterm. And what you're going to what's going to happen is, is that, you know, just based on the election last week, you're going to see a, a, a Republican pickup of about 50 to 60 seats in the House. They're going to pick up a couple of seats in the Senate. And it's just going to be like 2010 and 1994 when you had a Democratic president and a Republican Congress, and then you have austerity. So you have rate hikes being accelerated. You have $3 trillion of government spending being taken off the table. That's not a very positive environment for stocks. Yeah, certainly not from the fiscal perspective. Sounds like uh, very much like uh, a headwind. I wanted to jump in as we're talking about inflation here. Uh, a really interesting conversation between Darius Dale uh, and Jurian Timmer out today on Essential Pro and Plus Tiers that actually talks about precisely the points that we're just making here uh, about the transitory nature of inflation as explained by the Fed, uh, and yet the real world data seeming uh, to be quite clearly in conflict with it. Let's take a look at the clip. The Fed doesn't really have a choice. Like it, the Fed can't really say anything other than inflation is transitory because what what is it going to do about it, right? Uh, when Volcker killed the inflation beast in the late seventies, uh, debt to GDP was thirty percent. Uh, it's like one hundred and forty percent now. There is no way that uh, Jay Powell can um, can you know. Um, uh, you know turn out like Paul Volcker because it would yeah, kill the well, economy. The economy is too lever, too low rates. And so the Fed has no choice but to say that it's transitory and the markets ultimately will decide, will determine you know, what, what the Fed can do. There you have it. Striking words. I think this is worth repeating. Uh, Julian uh, Julian Trimmer, his exact words here. Uh, he says, quote, the Fed can't really say anything other than inflation is transitory. 
Because what is it going to do about it? When Volcker, Paul Volcker, killed inflation, the inflation beast in the late 70s, debt to GDP was 30%. Now it's more like 140%. There's no way Jay Powell can turn out like Paul Volcker because it would kill the economy. Uh, Jared, very strong words there. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. But, you know, like we said in the beginning of our conversation, I think there will be a point where the Fed does have to admit it's not transitory and they will have to get hawkish. Now, the dynamics of the yield curve is what you have to pay attention to. Um, the curve is flattening, has been, um, it just, you know, in fits and starts over the over the last couple of months. If, if the Fed, just say hypothetically, the Fed raises rates to one and a half, one and three quarters percent, I mean, there's a pretty good chance we're going to have a flat yield curve, you know, which is going to portend a recession. And then we have the stagflation that, you know, a lot of people have been predicting, uh, which has been kind of stupid, but you've had a lot of people predicting stagflation. I think that's really more of a 2023 phenomenon. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the shape of the yield curve, the structure there, and exactly what's happening, particularly for people uh, who may not be as familiar with U.S. bond markets, uh, treasuries. It's, you know, the U.S. two-year treasury uh, has risen pretty dramatically now. I'm looking, uh, it's at uh, 52 bips, uh, 52 basis points. That's about a little over half a percent. Going back in June, uh, it was trading at 0.14%. And as recently as October, it was half where it is right now on a yield basis, 0.25% in uh, the beginning of October. So what you see uh, is the front end of the curve rising to the belly. Uh, The 10-year declined uh, slightly in the last month or so. Give us a sense of your interpretation of that, Jared, and particularly for people who may not be as savvy about fixed income markets as you are. Explain why it's significant. Well, I mean, this is all being driven by the front end. I mean, two's got annihilated today. I don't know how many basis points twos are up, probably six or seven basis points or something like that. But the two-year note is a function of future Fed funds expectations, right? Like, 10s, 20s, 30s, that's really about duration. The front end of the curve is really about the path of future Fed funds. And now we're pricing in two two and change rate hikes. Um, That's going to go up, you know, over time. I would say over the next three or four months, you're probably going to see twos trading around 80 basis points. And the the curve is going to continue to flatten. Yeah, Jared, it looks like it's 10 bips, 10 bips on the day. That's a massive move in twos, yeah. And that really explains why stocks are so weak today. Yeah, unpack that a little bit for people who don't understand the relationship between those two. Well, you know, like I said, two-year notes are a function. It's it's the path of future Fed funds. And basically what happened today is we priced in about a half a rate hike in one day. Uh, The stock market generally doesn't like rate hikes. I mean, you know, like what you said in the beginning, about this economic data being above the range of consensus. Like this was a surprise number for a lot of people. It wasn't a surprise number for me, but it is for a lot of people. And it was a shock. So, you know, I think there's going to be some follow through on the downside for stocks. Yeah. Jared, if it's okay with you, we've got lots of questions coming in that I'd like to jump to. Uh, This is a question that's for you uh, from Ross M., from the exchange. And the question is, uh, it's an interesting question, actually. What assets slash assets classes do you find are least responsive to your sentiment indicators? And does that mean you don't trade them? Asset classes that are least responsive to my sentiment indicators, I think, I think the answer is none. 
I, I mean, every tradable asset uh, can be predicted by sentiment for sure. hundred percent. So, um, you know, I, I, it's funny because um, I do trade some stuff outside the stock market and, you know, I try to gauge sentiment and I do the same thing with the other asset classes. Yeah. Here's one that comes to us from Bill T. Uh, from the exchange. This is Real Vision's internal social network. Uh, it's a two-part question, a three-part question, actually. Uh, the first part I think we've answered is the Fed lost control of uh, the inflation narrative. Uh, and then the second part, since the answer is yes, uh, if yes, will the bond market now dictate what borrowing costs slash interest rates will be? In other words, does the Fed basically lose the ability uh, at varying points of the curve to control borrowing costs for the U.S.? Well, I mean, their ability to control borrowing costs is dictated by the size of their quantitative easing, which is $120 billion a month and going down. And as the Fed pulls back from the bond market, then there is the potential for yields to go up once you take away that $120 billion a month in buying. You know, that's a, that's a big impact. I mean, if you look at the bond market nowadays, it's different than what it was 15 years ago. We used to have a lot, like a huge amount of foreign participation in the bond market. That's mostly gone. And what's replaced it has been the Fed buying. Now, I'm not saying that yields are going to go up. I kind of think they won't. All I'm saying is they have the potential to go up because the marginal buyer, the Fed, is not going to be present in six months. Yeah. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome back to Real Vision's Daily Briefing. Let's get right back to the top analysis of today's markets. Um, here's a question from uh, Christopher Y, also from the exchange. Uh, this is a question uh, for you, Jared. At least it's half for you and looks like half for me. Uh, the question for you is, uh, um, is now the time to put a curve steepener back on? Uh, I mean, look, like, let's say three, four months from now, we were printing 8 9 10% inflation. I mean, this is the great mystery. If you can answer this question, you really have the answer to the financial markets. And that is negative real rates. We have 6% negative real rates. We have inflation at 6% and rates at 0%. So why does why is the bond market completely unresponsive to these inflation numbers? I mean, you know, back in the 70s, that's what's different about the 70s. Back in the 70s, we were printing 8, 9, 10% inflation and the bond market was getting shellacked. And that's not happening this time. And nobody can figure that out. I don't have the answer to it. Yeah. By the way, the question uh, from Christopher to me uh, was, how are you hedging against rising bodega costs? Christopher, unfortunately, I'm not. I'm massively exposed there. I'm wearing that one. <laughs> um, so here's a question that comes to us uh, from Pop J. This is from the Real Vision website. Uh, he says, hi, everyone. My question is about the long-term impact of deep negative interest rates. How far can this go and the main impact on different asset classes? Um, I think that he may be talking about globally, obviously, uh, real uh, nominal rates here in the U.S. are positive. Uh, any thoughts on the global bond market and interest rates abroad, particularly in the eurozone? 
Well, in terms of negative real interest rates, I mean, the, the farther down real interest rates go, the stupider the things you want to invest in. Okay, so when when you have real rates of two percent, you want to invest in value stocks. When you have real rates of zero percent, you want to invest in growth stocks. When you have real rates of negative two percent, you want to invest in Tesla and in EVs and SPACs and stuff like that. And when you have real rates of negative six percent, you want to invest in shit coins. You know, so like that's that's really how it should, you know. So if you get real rates back up to two percent, then it's going to be a great time for being a value investor again. Yeah. By the way, we should clarify for people who may not be familiar with the terminology. Uh, real rates, of course, are the inflation-adjusted interest rates. Nominal rates are the rates you actually see uh, on the paper. Uh, so that's the distinction there. And by the way, the point that you just made about uh, how interest rates determine where the investment goes, you can actually see that today uh, in the actual uh, U.S. equity indices closing numbers, where you saw the Dow Jones Industrial Average showing less sensitivity uh, to what happened on the inflation prints today, uh, and the NASDAQ uh, and uh, Russell 2K uh, showing the worst uh, exposure to it, uh, perhaps because you know for exactly the point you just pointed out, uh, Jared. This you know if you're doing a discounted cash flow model, more sensitivity to rates there. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Here's a question that comes to us from Patrick Bateman from YouTube. Uh, the question is: uh, Bonds sold off today, uh, but are still up compared to pre-lockdown. His question ultimately is about. What you see the trajectory being for inflation rates? Will inflation be fading in 2022, or do we have deflation on the horizon? I know you've been historically in the inflation camp, uh, Jared. As you look forward into 2022 and 2023, do you look that far out ahead? And if so, do you have any analysis on what prices will be doing in that time frame? Well, I mean, that's that's really long term. I mean, first of all, let me just say that you know, I've been an inflation bull for since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, and I've been called all sorts of things. I've been called an inflationista and an idiot and all that type of stuff. I think today is the day that the inflationistas have been vindicated. You know what I mean? But, it, you know, it, it, I think that inflation gets up close to 10%. Uh, and I think, I think it's going to be there in the first half of 2022. I don't think it comes down materially unless we have a recession and unless that recession is driven by the Fed. So the Fed raises rates to two, two and a quarter, two and a half. The yield curve inverts, we get a recession, and that's when inflation will come off. But I don't think it will come down to previous levels. I don't think it'll come down to their target of 2%. So what's your uh, target for the longer term? Do you see this as something that just continues to run hot? You know, for two, three, four years. I mean, it just started starting to feel like the the genie is kind of out of the bottle, and I just don't know how it gets back in. I guess that makes me an inflationista as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all about psychology. You have to break the inflationary psychology. I mean, people are in a mode where if they go to a store and they're buying cat food, and there's shortages of cat food, and the shelves are empty. And the next time they go, there's some there. They're going to buy it all and take it home because it might not be there next time. That's the inflationary psychology that we have to break. Yeah. By the way, we managed to get through almost 30 minutes without uttering the phrase supply chains. Oh. <laughs> I just wanted to throw that softball over the plate to you, Jared. Uh, well, I mean, I think it's good that we haven't mentioned it. I mean, because people look at the supply chain issue as some kind of 
exogenous event that's disconnected from the inflation narrative, right? They right. say, okay, we have 6% inflation because of the supply chain issues, but the supply chain issues are part of, they're linked to the inflation narrative. It's all the same thing. Yeah, very well said. Jared, as we come to the conclusion here of this conversation, final thoughts, final key takeaways that you'd like to leave our viewers with? Uh, you know, I mean, Inflation trades will continue to work. Um, I mean, I, I hate to, you know, I, uh, people have a tendency to extrapolate what happened today out into the future. You know, it's this recency bias. So, right. you know, so today, like uh, inflation related trades went up and, and long duration tech went down. And so that's what I think is going to happen in the future. I mean, so part of it could be my recency bias, but I really do believe that's what's going to happen over the next few weeks. Yeah. Jared, always a pleasure. Thank you again for joining us. Thanks a lot. And thanks again for watching the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I have the pleasure of breaking some news here, at least on the Daily Briefing. Real Vision is taking over Las Vegas December 9th through December 11th. Real Vision and MGM Resorts have joined forces to take to host a groundbreaking event on the biggest revolution since the internet. That, of course, is blockchain. And we're doing it at the iconic MGM Grand Hotel in Las Vegas. We'll be exploring blockchain's present and future, how it's taking over entire industries and worlds, from traditional finance to art, from gaming to banking, and so much more. You can check it all out right now at realvision.com forward slash MGM takeover. That's realvision.com forward slash MGM takeover. And don't forget to tune in tomorrow. Maggie Lake will be here chatting with Tommy Thornton. Thanks for watching, everybody. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.